Thanks be to God. Thank you, seniors, and thank you, Christy. As a student, there's not many worse feelings than showing up to class and realizing you did not do the reading. Right? When the teacher says, okay, let's talk about what everybody read last night. Everybody read? What did everybody read last night? Right? There's 30 pages, and it's way too much to even skim in the 90 seconds you have before that big discussion or pop quiz is about to take place. And so then you have to figure out how you're going to fake it till you make it, to look like you did the reading, just like everybody else. Am I speaking out of experience? Yeah, just a little bit. In fact, graduating seniors, here's a tip. This is free of charge from your senior pastor. Uh, when I was in college, I learned really quickly that the best thing to do is to listen for somebody else's point. That way, you're not really talking about the text itself, but you just say these words. You know, I want to echo what Elizabeth said. She made a really good point. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. A lot of times in life, we show up, and it feels like we're coming into class and we didn't do the reading. Maybe it's that first night away from your parents' house or the house you grew up in. It's that first night in the apartment by yourself or in the dorm room by yourself. You show up, and it feels like you didn't do the reading. Where's the laundromat? Maybe it's that first morning of the new job that you really knew you needed to land, but you also know you feel totally ill-equipped for. Or maybe it's just that moment after receiving the news that, that you weren't really prepared to receive. Do you know what it's like to show up to class and to feel like you didn't do the reading? Is that just me? That's how the, the disciples are beginning to feel in the Gospel of John is chapter 14 that we just heard read a moment ago is Jesus is once again reminding them that he's about to go, not going to be here forever. In fact, his exit is, is looming in the near future, and they're beginning to feel like this pop quiz or this, this class discussion is about to take place, and they haven't done the reading. They're not ready. They feel like they're going to have to fake it. Ultimately, their question gets summed up very succinctly by one of the disciples named Judas, but, but not that Judas, as John tells us. He says this in John 14, verse 22, just to remind us, John says this, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, mind you, asked, Lord, why are you about to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Why are you about to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Essentially, what Judas is asking is, why can't you just do this yourself? <laughs> you know everything. You know how to do everything. We've seen you heal. We've seen you walk on water. We've seen you do the miracles. We know that you're so smart. You've got your life pulled together. Look at us. We're a mess. Why can't you just do this? Why leave this to us? I think we ask the same kind of question pretty frequently. Haven't you ever asked that question? Jesus, why can't you just come back and fix this mess? It's pretty clear that we have not done the reading, right? The world's a mess. We're plagued by all sorts of sin and injustice. We're going, Jesus, why, why, why have you revealed yourself only to us? Why not come and just do everything yourself? Why, why don't you just fix it? And Jesus is going to offer a response, a few short verses, a few short answers as to why this is the difficult thing, but it's also the good thing in the end. Because here's the thing about what Jesus says. Everything Jesus offers back to Judas is not new information. It's echoes. 
of truths that they know, truths that John has already revealed in his gospel, truths that quite frankly have been revealed through the breadth and depth of Scripture and the human divine story. Jesus is echoing these truths back to Judas to let him know, to let us know why this might actually be a good thing. And just because you show up to class feeling like you didn't do the reading doesn't mean you have to call it quits. Jesus' first answer comes to us in verse 23 when he says, Jesus answered, whoever loves me will keep my word. Whoever loves me will keep my word. That's where Jesus starts. It's actually the, the third time that Jesus says something like this. Twice earlier in the chapter, he says, whoever loves me will keep my commandments. Different word. Important difference, I think. See, this time he says, whoever loves me will keep not my commandments, but my word. And the word, word, in the Gospel of John is an important word. Word? Um, <laughs> such a bad joke. Oh, I've been waiting for that all morning. So proud of myself when I thought of it. Okay. But really, the, the word, word in the Gospel of John is important. It's this Greek word, logos, and it's an echo back to the very opening verses in John's Gospel when John reveals to us the identity of Christ as the word, the logos. In Greek, this word logos is like this perfect philosophical idea. It's like perfection incarnate is Jesus. And Jesus is saying when we keep the commandments, ooh, there's another echo, what did Jesus say about commandments? The greatest of them is what? To love God and love our neighbor. When we keep these commandments, we're not just obeying rules and regulations. We're, we're keeping the word. We are bringing Christ back into the world like John 1, but again and again and again. When we love God and love our neighbors well, when we commit our life to these two simple but profound things, it's as though Christ is reintroduced to the world again and again and again, not just from heaven, not just from God, but through us. Wow, what a radical notion. Here's the first echo of truth that Jesus offers to Judas. It's this, we are faithful when we love like Jesus. And if that sounds obvious, it, it, maybe it should, because again, Jesus isn't sharing new information. The first echo of truth is this, we are faithful when we love like Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people in the world who claim to follow Jesus and to keep his commandments, but do a whole lot of things not out of the spirit of love. Amen? So Jesus is careful to say, you love me when love is the center of what you do. You love me when those commandments of loving God and loving neighbor guide and shape and form your life. We are faithful when we love like Jesus. Now, Jesus is saying to Judas, basically, you're asking me, why can't I just do everything? Why can't I just love all these people? And Jesus' response is, why can't you? Oh, Judas says, wait, 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 why can't we? Jesus, I don't want to love the people that I hate. I don't want to love the people that are easy to avoid or ignore. I don't want to love the people that cost me too much or maybe cost me everything. I don't want to love in a way that forces me to challenge the systems that oppress and injure those around me. I don't want to love like that because that kind of love is hard. Can't you just do that for me, Jesus? 
Am I preaching to myself this morning? Jesus says, this love is ours to give. We can't wait for Jesus to come back and to love people in that kind of way. Instead, we are invited into a kind of faith that calls us to love in the same way that Jesus loved. Amen? So then Jesus goes on. He offers a second layer to this answer. He says, my father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Now, unless you know who he's talking to, that's a kind of cryptic statement. First, Jesus is talking about God when he says, my father. He's not talking about Joseph, the husband of Mary. He uses that language for a couple reasons. One is because throughout the breadth and depth of Scripture, we see God described as a loving parent. And secondly, within his Jewish context of patriarchy, identifying God as father was the classical way to understand that relationship. And it still lives in the church today. He says, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. So he's saying this God, this loving parent, will recognize the love alive in their hearts and then will make our home with them. You know, if you take that too literally, you're thinking, God, have you seen the housing market right now? You know, you better be prepared to offer 50 over asking and don't ask for an inspection. God's going to make a home with us, huh? But it's an echo. It's an echo back to earlier in this very same passage, in the same chapter, Jesus talks about uh, God establishing dwelling places, monai poli in the Greek, dwelling places for those who are faithful. And in fact, the concept of God dwelling with us is an echo back to John chapter 1 again when it tells us that in Christ, God made a tent or made a dwelling with us, a monane with us in the person of Jesus. And in fact, that itself is an echo back to the story of Exodus, of the Israelites leaving enslavement in Egypt, entering into their wandering in the wilderness of 40 years, and taking with them the Spirit of God. Where? In a dwelling place, a tent, a tabernacle, a monane. It's this place where God would go with them on the move wherever they went, and it would ultimately deliver them to this perfect promised land. And in John's gospel, it delivers us to the perfect person of Jesus. But now Jesus is changing the story and saying, now that dwelling place is not pointed towards a perfect promised land or a perfect person, but instead God's dwelling place is now in you. In you. In me. In you. The point that John is making is both simple and profound. We need no longer look externally for the hope of heaven or eternity or salvation, right? We don't need to look for some far-off place or some far-off person that is just out of reach, but instead we can claim the reality that God is alive within each and every one of us. And that hope that we seem to look for just beyond ourselves and just out of reach may actually be closer than we know. See, here's the thing. So many of our siblings in the Christian faith have developed what I believe to be an unhealthy obsession with heaven and salvation as this external, far-off reality that ought to be hoped for, prayed for, waited upon as something or some place that we'll be taken to one day far from now as long as we are good, good people. 
when the reality is Jesus has come to say that thing that you think is just out of reach is actually here. Heaven has a foothold here upon the earth. The hope that you think is sometime next week is actually today, and that eternal life that you think you're waiting for begins right now if you'll let it. My my friends, John's testimony to Jesus is simple but profound, but it's also not some syrupy, sweet, pseudo-spiritual hope. Amen? I don't have any time for that this Sunday morning. So if you thought you were getting syrupy, sweet, spiritual sentimentalism, whoo, that's some alliteration, right, Aaron? I know he likes alliteration. It's not syrupy sweet, but it's real, it's tangible, it's dirt under your fingernails, love like Jesus kind of hope. It's the kind of hope that offers bread to the hungry, because the hungry don't need to hear words about bread, they need bread. It's the kind of hope that offers homes to the homeless because the homeless don't need another committee or convening board to try to figure out homelessness. They need homes. It's It's healing to the sick because the sick don't need another sympathy card. They need healing. Maybe not a cure, but they need healing. It's sight to the blind because what they need is to see. It's rest to the weary because what they need is some rest. It's justice to the oppressed because please stop talking about justice and just make it a reality. It is freedom to the enslaved because I can't hear you while I've got chains on my wrists. Do you hear me, church? The kind of hope that Jesus is offering is not far off. It's not out of reach. It is here right now if you are willing to look inside and see the hope that God sees in you, in me, in you. Because maybe you don't think you can do that kind of good. Maybe you don't think you possess that kind of hope. Maybe you're like me and you cling to cynicism, but you like to call it realism. Anybody else like me? Oh, it's not going to get better because I'm a realist. No, we're cynics, and we need to repent and believe the gospel. Maybe you've bought into the lie that someone imperfect like you has nothing to offer I believe that lie far too often. What Jesus is offering to people like you and like me and like that person sitting in the pew right next to you or sitting on the couch at home, what Jesus is offering is the kind of hope that takes all of you with all of your imperfections, names you good and beautiful and beloved and sets you loose to love like Jesus upon the world and dares the world not to be changed as a result. second echo of truth is this, God's hope is gracefully alive in you. See, God's not looking externally. God's not looking for something far off. God is looking right into your eyes, into your mind, into your heart, into your body, into your soul, and saying, I see hope. Not built upon who we are, who we believe ourselves to be. Not built upon our sense of perfection or imperfection, but built upon, held within, contained, wrapped up, and tugged along by the grace of God. God's hope is gracefully alive in you. If that's good news for somebody this morning, say amen. Good, you are awake. I'm glad to hear it. I've been up since 5.30 because I've got a third child, so I've had too much coffee this morning. Jesus continues and says, I have spoken these things to you while I am with you. The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. 
I'm not going to spend long on this. I'll tell you why. We're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work within the early church movement starting in June. We're going to look at the book of Acts and how the Holy Spirit leads the church to be this expansive and inclusive and growing movement of faith. So there's a little plug for that. But for now, I want to notice this. The Holy Spirit does two things here, Jesus says. Holy Spirit teaches and reminds. Don't miss this. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds. Now, the first, the, that reminds piece, we figure that, right? The Holy Spirit's going to confirm that which has been true from cover to cover, those eternal truths, those echoes of truth. The Holy Spirit is going to hold fast to that. But did you know not everything is in here? Did you know even if you do your reading, Jesus didn't experience everything that you will? Jesus didn't have every conversation you're going to have. Jesus didn't encounter every person you're going to meet. Jesus didn't have every problem you're going to have. Jesus met a lot of people, had a lot of conversations, encountered a lot of problems, but Jesus isn't you. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit is not just here to remind you of what is true, but to teach you something too. It's an acknowledgement that guess what? Even if you do your reading, you don't know everything yet. It's not all in there. There's something called the Holy Spirit that is going to come and walk with you and teach you something new because your life is yours and yours alone. And that means that maybe something new might be revealed to you or to me in this walk of faith. I love that it basically is Jesus responding to Judas saying, why can't you just do everything for us right now? We don't know everything yet. And Jesus basically says, yeah, you don't. Good luck. Have fun with the Holy Spirit. Bye. Right? That's his response. And so maybe you hear this, and maybe you feel inspired or encouraged. Maybe you hear about loving like Jesus and, and, and God seeing hope within you, and, and that fills you up with uh, power. I don't know. Or maybe you just feel the weight and the pressure, and you feel more anxious than anything else. That's a lot of pressure, God. Which leads us to the last part of our text this morning. Jesus says in verse 27, lest we forget, Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. I give to you not as the world gives. Don't be troubled or afraid. Now, this is really something that we got to hear with the ears of John's community because this hits different when you're a turn of the second century Christian living in John's time and place. See, the people John was writing to would have heard the words peace, and peace not as the world gives you, and they would have made an instant connection to something called Pax Romana. The Latin experts and Roman history experts know where I'm going with this. Pax Romana is this Latin term. It refers to a, a roughly 200-year period within Roman history that started about 30 years before Jesus was born. It's this 200-year this span of relative peace and order and stability and also significant power and expansion for the Roman Empire. But even though it was a season of peace, it was not without war or rebellion. In fact, those were fairly frequent, except they were simply snuffed out quickly by an overwhelmingly 
extremely powerful and brutal Roman military. There was a man named Calgacus living in modern-day Britain under Roman rule. He was leading a rebellion, and the historian Tacitus quoted him as saying this about the Roman Empire, they create a desert and call it peace. Do you know what Pax Romana feels like in the world? They create a desert and they call it peace. It is peace under threat. It is stillness but trembling. I'll meddle for a second. It's books being burned. It's curriculum being put in the shredder. It's pretending we don't have problems when really we know we do. Do you know what Pax Romana feels like in the world? Do you know what peace is offered to us frequently in the world? And then Jesus says, maybe there's a different kind of peace. He's referring to shalom. Shalom is this ancient Jewish concept of peace that goes deeper than simply stillness or silence. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it refers to the wholeness and fullness of knowing who you are, who you are in God, and who you are meant to be in the world. It's a presence of body, mind, self, and soul. Shalom. It is deep. It is rooted. And it's not a denial of reality or a fear of it, but rather a faith rooted in love and in hope, challenging the systems of sin and of death. This shalom peace is what guided the ancient Israelites out of slavery through the wilderness into exile and into oppression season after season, generation after generation. Shalom became the bedrock anchor. So Jesus is showing these two different kinds of peace that we can receive. The first being Pax Romana, peace, peace gained through fear and through threat, a peace that holds us hostage, that kind of peace, versus the shalom peace gained through presence and fullness and wholeness, a peace that liberates and frees us. The final echo of truth from Jesus is this. In a world of Pax Romana, God offers peace. A peace that rises above the fears of the world, above the stillness and the silence. A Pax Romana invites us to stand still out of fear, and God's peace grants us the courage to act out of hope and of love. It's a peace that leads us further into action. And so here's a question that might be good for all of us to wrestle with. How could God's shalom peace grant us the courage to act out of hope and of love this week? If we are called to love like Jesus, and if we are called to see God's hope alive in us, in our family, in our neighborhood, in our community, if we are called to these things, how could God's shalom peace grant us the courage to act out of that love? to act out of that hope. So you're going to walk into a lot of rooms in your life and feel like you didn't do the reading. Graduates, buckle up. You didn't do the reading, and that's okay. Jesus isn't going to come down and fix it. Not today, not tomorrow, not next week, not in our lifetimes, not ever, because why? Because there's something better. Instead, there's an invitation to love to find hope, and to know peace. 
And so whether you feel like you missed the reading this morning or you feel like you've heard it all before, may our lives echo that love and that hope and that peace. And may it ever be so. Amen. Amen.